Welcome to No Compromise, where faith and reason fuse in conversation. Jenny and I conclude our conversation on the height effect. Okay, so back to the article by Debbie Lerman. Yeah, this is the COVID article. The catastrophic COVID convergence, yes. Okay, so picking up with her, she said, like many others on all sides of the political spectrum, I believe criticism of Trump was largely justified. However, for many Democrats, Trump hatred went beyond rational debate and came to dominate not just the discourse, but the very identity of the party, fostering a self-righteous superiority complex displayed through ritualistic virtue signaling and engendering the apt label Trump derangement syndrome. The derangement part was the turning of anti-Trumpism into a self-identifying obsession and singular standard of virtue to the exclusion of any objective examination of Trump's words or deeds. Anything, Trump said, the anti-Trump camp felt it their civic and moral duty not just to proclaim, but to deeply believe the opposite. This is 1984 yep, again. Exactly. It's like, uh-huh. you will do as we say you will do. Goldstein. <laughs> yes, Goldstein. Or um, Snowball. Snowball. Snowball, yes. You have to In hate. Animal farm. Yes, you have to hate the, um, the enemy of the party. And I guess what I would want to say here is that none of this is new. Right. I mean, she wants to make the point that this is all directed yeah. just to Trump. Right. But you and I have been alive over half a century now. Exactly. Do you remember any Republican president who was not vilified in precisely exactly. those terms? Mm-hmm. Now, it might have been slightly softer at times. I was going to say, it wasn't as much as Trump, but yeah. yeah every all, Republican president, there. Has, mm-hmm. they, they've said the same thing about every one of them. Exactly. And <laughs> they hated them mm-hmm. in just the same way. Mm-hmm. And the the very identity of their party, fostering a self-righteous superiority complex, mm-hmm. that too is part of the left's identity. Also characteristic of the left mm-hmm. is that they politicize everything. Right. Everything goes to politics. Mm-hmm. Every event that happens right. must be made into a political event I in order to... Right. So this is, this is that same thing we've been talking about before. The ends justify the means and whatever gets them to where they need to be, they will use it. Exactly. Okay. So moving farther on into the article, Lerman a little farther on talks about propaganda and she marvels at the success of the COVID propaganda. Right. Because for once she grasped truth, mm-hmm. objective truth. And right. she said, wait a second. How, how were they able to undermine truth like this? And she saw it systematically undermined by the power of mass media indoctrination and groupthink mm-hmm. without seeing <laughs> that this is what the left has been doing all my life right. for sure. Right. right. This propaganda that they've been pushing is essentially mainstream media. Mm-hmm. Um, like and this it, is what our society has become. It's not like it just suddenly, you can't get an entire population <laughs> of people to suddenly do this. It had to have been a slow you know, and, progression. And, and what she's seeing mm-hmm. is that they were successful in propagandizing on COVID, which is true. 
but she's missing the fact that the reason that they were so successful is that they've been successfully propagandizing for decades right. in this it's way. Just, yeah, it's just this progression where they just get they get stronger, stronger, and stronger right. until now. Yeah. So she says a little farther, a scientific and journalistic consensus quickly coalesced around these models and the necessity for the zero COVID measures they supposedly proved. As mentioned above, dissenting views were silenced, but they were also a small minority. The toxic confluence of panic, politics, and propaganda worked like an anti-truth potion to preclude even the possibility that someone would think let alone publicize anything suggesting it wasn't as bad as everyone, the Chinese, the U.S. government, the leading newspapers and scientific journals, said it was. So she marvels at that. Mm -hmm. And yet that is what they've been doing, at least since Marcuse right. in the late 60s and his article Repressive Tolerance, mm -hmm. which maybe we should do something on at yeah. some point, yeah. and Antonio Gramsci and the, the systematic march through the institutions. Right. Um, the long march through the institutions. They've been undermining the Western culture in order to achieve this all of our lives and actually well before our lives. So in each case, you have Haidt, Jonathan Haidt, Debbie Lerman, they each come to this discovery. Right, that something is seriously wrong. And it's all because each one of them said, this is the line, this is as far as I'm going to go. Right, this is as far as I will go. You, you've crossed the line here, and now we need to address this. But each one of them played a part in bringing us to this to point. point. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, remember you in particular were really frustrated by that with Jonathan Haidt. It's like, yeah. dude, you've embraced the left all of your life. And now when you get to this point, you say, wait a second, you've crossed the line. We've got to address this. And yet you've been contributing to it right. all and your life. The thing that was frustrating is he didn't see that he was contributing to right. it. Exactly. It was somebody else's fault. And oh, go ahead. And then I was going to say the Sasha Stone article was absolutely amazing to me because she turned off all news, all social media, everything that was liberal, and she turned on the other side because she sincerely wanted to hear what doing what Jonathan Haidt said liberals don't do. <laughs> right. She actually I don't know, you know, how, how she feels about Jonathan Haidt or anything. Uh, I, yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, but she actually took that step and listened. And was, so, yeah, so what does it take for yeah. a liberal to truly understand the conservative right. side? Right. And we find that in Sasha Stone. Right. And so we end our discussion mm -hmm. today with Sasha Stone's, really, and then some brief comments on, on James on Lindsay. James Lindsay. Yeah. So picking up with this article mm -hmm. um, by Sasha Stone, and we, Jenny and I cannot impressed too heavily yeah. on you all. Please read this article by Sasha Stone. Yeah, Go to heard, her Substack and read it. We heard an interview with her too. Yes, and it was it was it excellent. Was, yeah, it was I was in shock. Okay, so as a committed liberal, mm -hmm. she made the turn and began to see things more clearly. I wouldn't say she's a conservative now, right? No, I, yeah. she would not call herself a no. conservative. She's kind of confused as said, to what to do. When you said made the turn, she started listening and said, right. my word, this makes sense. Right. And, and that's that's <laughs> and the problem. Not, right. And they're not uncaring. Uh, yeah. Yeah. In order for the liberals to understand 
they have to go through some sort of radical cleansing ritual or right. something like that we don't it's like when yeah. someone's in a cult and it, you have to decon de cult them de cult them <laughs> <laughs> so in order for them to achieve what height said and have them really come to understand conservatives mm -hmm. this is what it i guess has to be done right. desperate and dishonest the article says Surely the Democrats know what they're doing, right? I mean, they're asking for America's vote to stay in power. Joe Biden wouldn't lie to the people about something as serious as a threat to the republic, right? Wrong. Joe Biden did lie. The speechwriter lied. They would do anything, say anything, and put any community or even the country at risk just to stay in power and hold on to the past the America under Barack Obama from 2008 to 2016. And this is something that I've remarked on several times too, both in my classes, and I think we've actually even talked about it on the podcast at different times, that the new conservatives really are the left. Right. They're the ones who are trying to hold on to the status quo. And we, the conservatives, are now taking the place of the radicals <laughs> because we want to say, look, burn it all down. We've got to go back and understand the traditional things. Right. Um, so we are the new radicals on the right. In 2020, we saw them sacrifice the truth as they micromanaged the media narrative to deliver the correct headlines when they gaslighted hundreds of millions of us to cover up the truth about just how violent the protests had been over the summer. They undermined then-President Donald Trump on everything from COVID to the economy. They did this with impunity. Why? Because everybody's on their side. The entire media exactly. is on their side. All of academia is on their side. So can, they can do it with impunity. They did this to stay in power. That is the very definition of corruption at nearly every level of our administrative state. So she's starting, she's she sees seeing, it. She's seen for the first time. That the, the people calling everybody fascists yes, are fascists. Are fascists. <laughs> <laughs> Their feedback loop is all they know. They believe it's the truth rather than nonstop recycling of confirmation bias and agitprop flooding the zone. I forced myself, and this comes up with what you said, that, mm -hmm. that sort of cleansing ritual to go through. Yeah. I forced myself to disconnect from the media entirely to escape the bubble. I stopped reading my Twitter feed and started an alternative account that paid attention only to the right. It took a conscious effort on my part to reprogram my brain to be able to see both sides clearly mm -hmm. and fairly. Yeah. And the reason is that it's the only view presented. There is There's no conservatives. No mm -hmm. And that's what Haidt is complaining about in his Heterodox Academy. Right. He said, there are no conservatives left, mm -hmm. and we can't function as a university seeking truth in that way. Once I did that, Sasha Stone says, I was horrified by what I saw on the left. The hypocrisy, the inhumanity. Worse than all, I could suddenly see what was true and what wasn't true, and how much the media and politicians lie daily. They tell themselves what they want to be true, 
-hmm. not what is true. Right? So we've undermined the very concept of truth. Mm -hmm. And so it goes with the Democrats, she says. Right now, they need to be taught a lesson. To be voted out in such massive numbers, it causes them to rethink the mess they've made of this country. This is hard for me to say, or even think about. It took me a few years to arrive at this point. After President Biden's speech, however, I don't see any other way. Substack, YouTube, podcasts, and other outlets offer objective opinions and investigative reporting. Hopefully, more people will begin to gravitate away from mainstream news until they can get a grip and maybe grow a pair. <laughs> wow, that's really amazing. I used to be a true blue Democrat. I voted faithfully in every election. I can even remember voting for Michael Dukakis. <laughs> my faith remained unshaken for most of my adult life. You remember voting for yes, Michael Dukakis too, I don't do. you? I'm sure you're not supposed <laughs> to tell anybody that. <laughs> that was straight out of high school, <laughs> the year I graduated. <laughs> In 2019, she says, I was among the first Democratic activists online advocating for Joe Biden to be the nominee. I attended an early Biden fundraiser. I made videos praising Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. I made a video to show how much I believed in Joe. Most of my friends and my family remain gobsmacked that my entire perspective could change almost overnight. My mother said, you became a completely different person now that she's seeing the yes. truth. Yeah. And then she responds, I don't think that I did become a completely different person. I think I just saw, for the first time, what my side looked like from the other side. Yeah. Now I can see just how much power and influence the left has. And I get in trouble just for saying the words, <laughs> the left, right. in school. Right. So I, I may very well lose my position because I dare to say these things. Mm -hmm. We used to be the counterculture, she says, the anti-establishment. But now we have become the system we used to fight against. I might have been able to stay with the Democrats. My policy ideals haven't changed. Mm -hmm. But when they began dehumanizing the Trump supporters, many of whom do not have access to much of our culture, I could no longer stand alongside them. Until that changes, I will never vote blue, no matter who. Mm -hmm. The 2020 election was even further proof, at least to me, that the Democrats had now become corrupt, that they had way too much power and wealth, such that we might never have a free and fair election again. This is corruption at a level we've never seen in this country, certainly not in my lifetime, including Richard Nixon. <laughs> at least back then, we had an objective press to hold the powerful to account. Now, this woman. Mm -hmm seems to understand how deep back. it goes. Right. They're not even a political party anymore. They've become a religious movement, fighting what they consider a religious war, a war of ideology. They sound like missionaries, pushing their newfound faith on the unsuspecting public. They have become so disconnected from average Americans that they thought this was a good idea, that is, Biden's speech. Mm -hmm. In years past, there would be a vicious op-eds op or hilarious mocking bits on SNL, but no more. 
That's how you know it's a true religion. No jokes allowed. And I guess we can just drop it there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right? That's a good place to end that part, that article. It is amazing to see these conversions. And we actually had others too mm-hmm. um, that we've heard about and seen in and Hollywood. online. What? In Hollywood celebrities, some, I wouldn't say big celebrities, but people, you know, in, in media. Right. They're seeing it mm-hmm. for themselves. Right. But it, it is odd that it almost seems like it's a conversion process. Yeah. It's like they have to, don't know. Mm hmm. And suddenly it, they're shocked and they see. Right. 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 And so you want to finish this with the one person, right? He's she like, got close. Right. She's Sasha Stone got close. But this is, would you say this is the one person right now who's tracing it all the way back? Yep. Who gets it? Who gets it? Who gets it and sees it like the Christian atheist. <laughs> <laughs> That's the important part. <laughs> So this would be James Lindsay. James Lindsay. Right. And he And James Lindsay was a committed leftist. Mm-hmm. And he started by exposing the the postmodern ridiculousness. Helen Pluckrose. With, with Helen Pluckrose. What was the name of the book? Well, the, the book that he wrote was Cynical Theories. Right. And we've read that all the way through. Mm-hmm. Didn't he come to prominence with the grievance studies affair? Right? Yep. Uh, along with Peter Bogosian and Helen Pluckrose, with whom he later wrote the book Cynical Theories. He and the three of them undertook a project to show the ridiculousness of the current level of scholarship Mm -hmm. in the sort of postmodern philosophical context of today, the the gender studies and all of those things. I guess what What, what got... What did they do exactly? They made pseudo-intellectual papers Mm -hmm. that were ridiculous, and they wrote them in such a way as to mimic all of the the ridiculous scholarship, quote, and I put scholarship in in scare quotes there because it really is ridiculous, but it mimicked the type of scholarship that is being published by these pseudo-intellectual didn't uh, he even use like Mein Kampf? Yes, (laughs) one of the papers, and it was accepted for publication by, I think, a, a journal called Aphilia. He like um, an interchange, right? So they they, they used right. They used the structure and uh, much of the wording of Mein Kampf, but changed it to fit the genre of feminism. Of feminism, right? right. And then they submitted it, and, and there were like thirty papers, I think, that they submitted, mm-hmm. and several were actually published, and others were in the process of being published when the whole thing came to light. Right. Um, and this really brought all three of them to prominence, right. Helen, Helen Pluckrose, James Lindsay, and Peter Bogosian. Mm-hmm. But I guess what is most notable about uh, James Lindsay is not that he hasn't gone on, not that Peter Bogosian and, and, Helen, and Helen Pluckrose have not gone on. They've also done work as well. But Lindsay has now founded the New Discourses podcast. Right. And it has been fascinating for me to watch his progress. Mm-hmm as he has undertaken to expose this for what it is. And in doing that, he himself has done the historical research that took him back all the way to Hegel and before. And that's why you say he's the only one. And he's the only one, I think, other than myself that I've ever seen that really gets it. Right. Now, we watched a video on YouTube on the book by, oh, what's his name? I think it was called Postmodernism. 
he is an Ayn Rand follower, but he had a book called Postmodernism. We listened to the whole thing. It was really good. He also does a nice job tracing things back historically. I think he gets some things wrong. Of course, I think James Lindsay gets some things wrong, mm -hmm. too, about Kant in particular. Yeah. But go Even ahead. down here, we watched it down here. Right, we watched it oh, down here. Oh, yeah. I can see him, see him talking, but I can't come. Stephen something? Stephen. Hicks. Stephen Hicks. He, he reads the whole text of his book, Postmodernism, on YouTube, which is where we listen to it. And I would definitely strongly suggest that our listeners listen to it on YouTube if, if they want to understand, or get the book, of course, uh, and read it. They want to understand the philosophical development of these ideas. So, yeah, I, I find a tremendous value. And, and for our listeners, mm -hmm. I would say there is no one out there that is better than James Lindsay on these topics. You're pointing to me, but it, in, my, <laughs> in my own way, I think I understand it as well as James Lindsay, maybe a little better in certain ways. Mm -hmm. But Lindsay actually has done it, put forth the work, he's done the podcasts, he's laid it out, and for the most part is just absolutely dead on with it. Right. And why I found it so fascinating to watch his progress mm -hmm. was because when he began all of this, he called himself a committed liberal. Right. Very much of the, the normal tradition of liberalism coming up through the 20th century. He's a math professor. Right, he was a math professor, right. And finally... Talk about line crossing, mm -hmm. right? For each one of these things that we've studied today, there was a line crossed. The person saw it and said, wait a second, I can't go along right. with this. And then they localized the problem, said, okay, we, we need to correct this problem, but they don't see the larger structure. Lindsay did that. Seeing even mathematics being colonized by these radical ideas. But then he followed the logic. Right. And he said, let's see where this takes us. How did this get started? How in that world did this take overtake our society in this way? And by doing that, he essentially converted to conservatism <laughs> yeah. because he followed the logic. And, and again. But he was kind of like Sasha Stone, where remember how she said her parents, her mom said she's a different person. Now. Right. And he, he did the same thing a liberal would do or right. what she's doing, what a liberal would do is see the problem. Right. And you know, do something about it. Try to fix it. Right. right. And, but, but that with, whereas with Sasha right. Stone, I think she would say to herself, I don't know what I am now. Am I a liberal? Or am I a conservative? I don't know. And Lindsay was there too. I remember when he first started giving interviews, hearing him express things like that. Yeah. And yet now having done the research, followed the logic, he has come to a more conservative position. Now I would not say that he is a conservative of our stripe. Right. He's still not religious. He was involved deeply in the new atheist movement when it first started. Mm -hmm. And I know he still considers himself an atheist. Okay. And yet when you hear him talk sometimes, right. he uses Christian language. Right. He, understands, um, right. he understands Christianity. Lindsay has like a two-hour video on Hegel. Mm -hmm. And other than listening to what I've done on the Christian Atheist, and I would love to do more. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we're not getting, anytime I do Hegel, our numbers go way down. So <laughs> if, if you want to listen to something on Hegel and understand what I believe about Hegel, the closest place you'll come is James Lindsay. Okay. And if you would want me to do more on Hegel, trust me, I'm ready and raring to go. I have notes ready to produce another, what, 10, another 10 episodes of the Christian Atheist mm -hmm. on my views on Hegel. 
in common language. <laughs> well, that you know, help. listening to James Lindsay, it's not real common language either. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's not easy stuff to talk about mm -hmm. in regular language. But I think this also sort of goes to why I found it valuable to do that. If we are going to, as we've seen in the process of this podcast that we've done here, if we are going to reach committed leftists, I don't know how else other than to give them a point where they understand a line has been crossed mm -hmm. and then begin teaching them where it's come from, right. why it's become what it is. And we've seen it happen over and over again. Another really prominent example of this I was just gonna ask you. would be Jordan Peterson. Mm -hmm. Because I would bet, in fact, I know he's actually expressed it, mm -hmm. up through like the middle of the 20 teens, he would have considered himself essentially a leftist, right. a, a liberal. Maybe not a leftist, but a liberal for sure. With some conservative tendencies, it mm -hmm. must be admitted. But um, he now has, by following the logic, has pretty much become a conservative. Right. One might even make the case he has become a Christian. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's between God and him, not us to decide. But it has certainly been heartening for us to watch the progression of, of Jordan Peterson as well. Right. Uh, and then off the top of my head, one other person who actually traveled with Jordan Peterson was Dave Rubin. That's right. Who was a, an extreme leftist. He was on that, that wacko leftist mm -hmm. show, The Young Turks. Mm -hmm. And boy, is that a nasty, mean leftist show. Um, and he left that and actually began the process of following the logic and is now on Glenn Beck's station. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> you can't get much farther than that, than, yeah. than that right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So I hope this has been a valuable series of lessons mm -hmm. because we've seen the broad gamut from, from like the New York Times and who's the PBS guy? Bill Moyers. Bill Moyers who essentially looked at, uh, oh, and, and Stephen Colbert, Colbert, who essentially looked at what Haidt says and said, hmm, that's interesting. I reject it entirely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they had to, they mm -hmm. had to grudgingly admit he was on to something important and true, but we're not going to let that affect anything that we actually think or do. Exactly. Um, we're going to, yeah, isn't that cute that, <laughs> that he did that? Now, now let's get on with the, the business of destroying Virginia. the country. <laughs> um, and then we had others like D Debbie Lerman, mm -hmm. who really, really saw a serious problem on the left, but kept it completely localized. And, and then Sasha Stone, who is just sort of confused, I think, at this point, what to do, mm -hmm. but has tremendous, and you've got to give them credit, tremendous intellectual stones yeah. <laughs> to stand up against you know, what they've always thought. Sasha Stone, because she has a business in Hollywood, they said. Right. And to it, stand up is going to affect. It, it is analogous to like a turn like the Christian atheist did. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, it is that moment when you recognize that the foundations on which you, you're standing have eroded underneath you, mm -hmm. and you had, better, you had better go the direction that logic, reason, truth. and truth are leading you. Right. Right. So... That's exactly right. That's what we would encourage our listeners to do exactly. and to spread the word. Mm -hmm. well, we'll see then where we end up going next week. Exactly. Okay. And if anybody has any ideas, let us know. Let us know, please. Yeah. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true.
I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.